I want to pray about something before I start this morning. Um, I want to pray about the bridge. How many um, had a difficult time getting across the bridge last week? Anybody want to be honest about it? And um, <clears throat> what the enemy likes to do is take something like the bridge and make it a distraction for our church body. And I'm not scared of that bridge at all. That bridge doesn't uh, worry me. It doesn't concern me. Um, I believe that God can take that bridge and turn it around for His glory. And um, I will give you a little bit of advice, though, when you leave. And this is—I'm just—I'm not trying to be funny here, but if you're going back across the bridge, do not turn right. My wife made the mistake last week of turning right to get across the bridge, and she ended up uh, behind that line somewhere past the first exit. And she was way back there. It took her two or three hours because she turned right. And it's an easy mistake to make. How many have ever thought about turning right? Um, I think the best way, and maybe you guys can help me, is to get in the empty lane, go up as far as you can and wait for somebody to be kind enough to let you in. And fortunately, there's a lot of church people that will be in line there. So so hopefully, Jonathan Bond saved me last week. Where are you at, Jonathan Bond? I love you, brother. I appreciate that. We were texting back and forth, though. We were cheating. So, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, my prayer's been answered. How about that? Well, let's pray about it anyway. Let's pray because I know they're going to be doing it for a long period of time. And I just want to pray that it doesn't distract anybody because there's a lot of distractions. And it would be very easy just to say, well, I'm not going to church and my excuse is that bridge. And uh, let's not be afraid of that bridge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Father, I know You love this body, Lord God, this church. And uh, Father, I just pray uh, that there would be no obstacles with that bridge, Lord. Father, there's nothing that can keep Your people from Your house, Lord. Father, we won't take one second to worry about it, to care about it, Lord God. We put that bridge in Your hands, Lord. Bless each person that's here, Lord God. Let there be no obstacles, Lord, to worshiping you. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord gave me a scripture as we were worshiping this morning. Daniel 11.32. This isn't even my text. God wants you to know this this morning. Who has King James Version of the Bible? Anybody? I want you to read it if you're okay to read it. Who has it? King James Version of the Bible, Daniel 11.32. Please first. 11.32. And about halfway through, the word B-U-T is there. Read after that. God wants you to know that this morning. But the people who know their God will be mighty, and they will do exploits. Exploits mean they will do mighty, mighty, great things. They will do things that people will talk about forever. People who know their God will be mighty, and they will do great exploits. Makes me want to know God. Makes me want to know my God. Not somebody else's God. Not my grandma's God. Not my mom and my dad's God. Not somebody else's, but I want to know my God because I will be mighty and I will do great exploits. We need a church full of people that are ready to do mighty exploits for God. 
that know their God. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, anoint your word, Lord. Father, you spoke it to me, Lord God. Now I ask that you prophesy it through me, Lord God. Speak directly to hearts, Lord God. Separate the soul and the spirit, Lord God, with your your mighty sword of truth, Lord. Cut through the enemy's lies, the enemy's threats, the enemy's bondage. Father, you, you called them new creations, Lord God. Let the old man die, the old woman die. And let the new man and the new woman, Lord God, rise forth, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In the book of Exodus, and I don't want you to turn there yet, it's going to be Exodus 14. But when you look at the book of Exodus, something I want you to notice about the outline of the book of Exodus. And yes, sometimes God will speak through the outline of the book. But the book of Exodus, you can break it up into three sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 12, and that section they commonly refer to as the bondage section. That means this is the period of time that Israel, they were slaves. And I just want you to, sometimes we throw that around for a moment, but I want you to think about what they were exposed to during this period of time. They had no freedom. They were oppressed, they were mistreated, they were abused. I mean, there's no clean way to do slavery. Do you understand that? So this is the period of time where they cried and they cried and they cried out to God. And they were oppressive to these people and abusive to these people and mean, just plain mean to these people because they were slaves in a foreign land. So this is the period of time that's called the bondage period. The second section of the book of Exodus is called the freedom period. That's where God delivered them from their oppressors. And this would be chapters, roughly you could break it up into chapters 12 through 18. This is where God freed them from their oppressors, gave them great wealth, took an entire nation out of another nation, and they became a nation overnight. And the prophets would say, when has that ever happened? The prophets prophesied. They said, when has that ever happened? That God made an entire nation out of slaves? I mean, probably a couple million came out of that nation. And so these are the freedom chapters. The last part is what they would call the revelation part of Exodus. So it would be bondage, freedom, and then God reveals Himself to this new people. Now why do I say that an outline will preach? Because this is the life that God has called us to. First of all, God wants you to be free from sin and the bondage that comes with sin. And the Bible says that some are sinners, yes, some. Right? That's a test. Be careful, I might fool you sometimes. Don't shake your heads. All right, I'm not going to point out who was shaking their head. Yeah. The Bible does not say you are some sinners, yes, some. The Bible says we are all sinners, every one of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. So the Bible says we're all sinners, and because of that sin, we all walked in here with certain things that are still 
bondages to us. Like we're out of bondage. God is, if you've been saved by God, He uh, delivered you from this nation. But this nation, Israel, still had things that they had to be delivered from in their mind. Do you realize they had bondage because they were in slavery for so long? Think about it. Now there's some debate here, and I don't want to get into a debate, but it was prophesied that they would be there 400 years on a sojourn, which means they would be traveling uh, in in a land that was not their own. And so their slavery may or may not have been the full 400 or 430 years. There's debate whether they were there maybe 215 years in slavery and 400 years sojourning or 430 years total. There's just a little debate on how long they were in slavery, but whether it was 215 or 430, the highest and the lowest number, how many know that's several generations? That means uh, the child's been a slave their whole life. Mom's been a slave her whole life. Grandma's been a slave her whole life. And great-grandma's been a slave her whole life. That means that nobody really knows what it's like to be free. And so this is what happens when we become a Christian. Now, if you're not saved in this building today, you realize you're still in bondage. Like you can't, you say, well, I'm not in bondage. I can do whatever I want. Okay, well, go ahead and worship. Because I used to be in bondage and I couldn't worship. No matter how bad I wanted to worship, I couldn't do it. I was bound. The enemy said, you can't worship. And the enemy was right. I couldn't worship. The enemy said that I couldn't change my behavior. Well, I could change it any time I want. Change it. You're bound. You mean I'm bound to the same attitudes I've always been bound with? Yeah. Because inside of you, you don't want to be like that anymore, but you can't change. Only God can change who you are and make you a new person. But then here's the thing that I want to also speak about today. These children of Israel, these adults, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, child, they all came out of this nation. And and here's what God wants to do. He wants to bring you out of bondage and teach you not to think like a slave anymore. And then He wants to go even further because the end of it's not salvation. The end goal of what God did in your life was to reveal Himself. So God begins to have them build in this last part of Exodus. He has them begin to build this this tabernacle. And you say, well, how is He going to reveal Himself through a tabernacle? Because every single item in that tabernacle spoke about the Messiah that was going to come. I mean, from the very animal skins that blocked the presence of God. You know, when Jesus died, there were basically the presence of God was covered. And there were certain ways you could, only certain ways you could be in the presence of God in that tabernacle. The only place on earth where you could go and there was the visible presence of God at this mercy seat. And every single part of it pointed to Jesus. And so even to the point that when Jesus died, which we'll celebrate on Resurrection Day next week, an earthquake ripped the temple in half. Isn't that amazing? He dies and an earthquake rips the temple in half, literally. There's historical records of the temple being split apart. 
And guess what room opened? The mercy seat of Jesus opened in the presence of God. It was a sign from heaven that just said, here I am. I'm opening up the presence of God to you. So what this whole revelation part of Exodus is, is you have been a slave your whole life. I want to teach you to quit thinking like a slave, and I want you to be free. So every day, we as Christians are learning to walk more and more and more in that freedom. And that's what I want to talk about today. How much bondage do we still have? You know, we say we're the land of the free, but we're the home of the brave. But I want to know, are we really free? Are we really brave? And what God really wants to do is teach you the freedom because the next stage is revelation. I want to reveal myself to you. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means you start off a slave. It's just kind of a minor thing here. You start off a slave, then you become a servant, and then you become his best friend. It's just a little thing like, I'll be your father. I'll be your dad. You say, well, maybe I had a good dad, maybe I had a bad dad, who knows? But he'll be better than any dad you ever had. He'll be a better friend than any friend you ever had. He'll lead you and guide you better than anybody's ever led you or anybody's ever guided you. So what does that mean? That means he's going to really cut me out of here. You say, well, you know, I've always leaned on my pastor to guide me and lead me. I've always leaned on, I've, I've always, you know, kind of leaned on that friend of ours that was really close to God. And every time I asked a question, they knew the answer. It's time to grow up, church. It's time to grow up. All right? And let me just say something about Pastor Rod. He loved to counsel you. But he does not want to hold your faith up for you. Can I tell you that? It's time to grow up. It's time to be introduced to your God. Remember, the people that know their God, they're mighty. All right? I'm not going to go put a bib on a mighty person and feed him milk. It's time to grow up, church. It's time to build some muscle. It's time to be what God's called you to be. It's time to move past the slave mentality. We're not in Egypt anymore. You've given your life to the Lord and you say, well, man, I'm done. So wonderful. I'm on the, I'm on the shores of the promised land at this moment, my brother. And it's all over. Not all over. You just got saved. You got saved to do something. You got saved to do mighty things. You got saved to do exploits for God. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at the children of Israel and kind of get an idea of what did God want them to do. What is it that God called this group to do? And I want you to see how hard it is for them to shed their mentality as slaves. Think about it. Isn't it overwhelming to even think about all they've ever known was listening to a taskmaster? That's all they've ever known. They've never had things that were their own. 
They've never had responsibilities. You know, they've never had, I mean, he's going to, I mean, think how marvelous this is. He has a slave nation. He's going to give them orchards, houses, yards, and they're not even going to have to build them. I mean, God is taking them to a wonderful land, and all he says is, trust me. But see, here's the problem. As they begin to leave, and you'll begin to see in this story, they leave um, Egypt. God completely delivers them from their oppressors, and they can't trust Him. It's amazing. And a lot of those people that God wanted to have the promised land, He wanted them to have promises. And church... I am not trying to blast the people and they say, oh wow, look, the brother's really preaching it. That's not my heart. My heart is I love this body. When I heard you guys singing earlier, I was thinking to myself, that's like a choir of angels. I mean, just hearing you worship and seeing people dance and seeing people free, it blessed me. And I was thinking to myself, I love these people so much. And, and, and God wants you to have His promises in your life, but I can't give them to you. I can't make you have them. And here's the sad, one of the saddest things in the Bible. There's a lot of sad things in the Bible, but the majority of the people that were slaves never seen the promised land. They died in the wilderness. God would like to have immediately taken them to the promised land and received their inheritance. But most of them died because they couldn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They trusted these eyeballs more than they trusted God. So, that's my grief this morning. As a pastor, my grief is, will you trust God? Are you willing to... Boy... God, God really speaks these messages. Um, Brother Mike was saying this morning, are you willing to go all in? Are you willing to die? Are you, is it better to live as a, as a slave or is it ready, better to die free? Now, these are real questions. I'm not asking, you know, Questions just to throw them at you. That's the choice today. Are we going to obtain God's promises and go for it? Or are we going to stand back in doubt? That's what God wants to know today. Turn to Exodus chapter 14. My daughter and I were talking this morning, and I was very excited, and I, I said, I'm so excited. I got a word from the Lord this morning. And I said, it's really, really good. And somebody, I don't know if it was my daughter or my wife, somebody said, well, you always say that. And I said, but you know what? Every time I hear from God, I can't tell Him it's bad because it's always good. And God spoke this word for you this morning. Not This isn't something that I just wrote. He spoke it for you this morning. Exodus 14, it says, Let me start in chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, 
So there was a direct path that they could have went from being released from bondage. The slaves could have went a very short path right up to the Philistines. But God did not lead them down that road. Okay? Now think about this in your life. God is just really measuring this out and really caring for them, okay? He wouldn't take them to the Philistines. How many know the Philistines were a powerful army? Very powerful and very wicked. But He did not lead them on that road, though it was shorter. Now I want you to think about, where's God leading you? Where's He been guiding you? Where's your meandering path led you to? The Bible says the steps of the righteous have been ordered. God called up. He said, okay, I order this for Wally. Do you understand that? They either are or they are not. Your steps have been ordered by God. So he takes them to this path to the Philistines, and he says, Though it was shorter, he didn't go that way. He didn't go to the Philistines. For God said, if they face what? War, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. See how God is protecting them? He wouldn't let them face war yet. So God led the people around by the desert road that led toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt. Now notice this. You never notice this in the movies, okay? Because they don't ever say this. What's the next part of that? He led them armed for battle. Now how many of them were there? There were like two million people there. And they were armed for battle. And a little later in this chapter, you'll see that not only were armed for battle, they were walking in regiments. They were a militia. They were walking in regiments of five. Okay, that wasn't in the movie, was it? There's an army here armed for battle. But God's not allowing them to fight yet. Why? If there's two million... Now remember, the whole reason they put them in slavery was why? What was the reason why they put them in slavery? They were growing so fast that they feared that they would overtake the Egyptians. So the Egyptians put them in slavery. Now remember, God promised Abraham, your children, you'll, you'll be a great nation, a huge nation. So then by the time, do you remember when Moses was born, what did they say about the mothers who birthed children with the, with the Israelites? said they're so much stronger than the other women. And they don't even need mid-servants whenever they give birth. So this group of people was large. They were a very uh, populous group. of. I mean, they were a large group of people, about two million. They were armed for battle. They had all kinds of stuff because Egyptians gave them everything and said leave. They gave them gold, silver, cattle, everything that they wanted. They just said, get out of here. So if you're armed for battle and you have that many people, then why would God not allow them to go to war? Something mentally isn't right with these slaves. So we really got to start figuring out what it is. So here's the thing. Now you keep applying it. Don't make me keep applying it. All right, the Spirit's got to speak to you. 
The Bible says people that aren't saved can't hear these things. But the Spirit will speak to you. You're armed and ready for every battle. But mentally, something's not right with our slave mentality. We still think we're not saved. We still think we don't have authority. We still think we don't have power. But God's trying to show us here that we actually do. And we've been lied to. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, Godly, God will surely come to your what? God's with you. He's so sure that God would destroy the enemy in front of him. He said, bring my bones, put them in the land because God will give it to you. Everything's saying victory here. But still, something's mentally not right with these slaves. All right? He goes on. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and there, there you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at... I can't even see that. Etham. On the edge of the desert... By day the Lord went ahead of them with a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. By night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So they could travel day or night. You notice that? They can travel day or night. The the night is like the day for them. Because so much light comes from God. Fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses... Now I want you to see something because I'm going to take you to a place where God puts them on a little tiny piece of land and hems them in where they look like they're dead men. He's going to put them in front of the Red Sea and God in advance is going to put the entire, uh, the Egyptian army is going to be behind them. The Red Sea is going to be in front. The wilderness is going to be on the other side. So God's going to intentionally put them in a place where they cannot survive on their own. And this is what God's going to do to you. You say, well, why doesn't He let me go in my own strength and confidence? Because remember, the whole idea is, those who trust the Lord will be mighty. Not those who trust in their own strength will be mighty. Not those who are very self-confident people will be mighty. Only the ones who know their God, trust Him, they will be mighty and do great exploits. So here, God's planning with Moses. He said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near this place between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Bel Zephon, Zephon, whatever that is. Pharaoh will think, now listen to this, God intentionally put him in this place because he wants Pharaoh to do something to him. Alright? Now Moses was supposed to tell who this? The people. So the people know that God has a plan. Right? They didn't just end up on the shores of the Red Sea and say, oh no, there's a, there's a, there's an ocean here. Or there's a sea in front of us. Where'd that come from? God put him there on purpose with a plan. 
It said, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion and they're hemmed in by the desert. See, Pharaoh's going to think they're just wandering around and they're dead meat where they're at. So God put them in a place where they were intentionally hemmed in. Have you ever been in a place in life where you were hemmed in? It's like financially I cannot figure this thing out. I don't even know where to move, where to go, what to do. This family situation, I don't know what to do. Legal situation, I'm so frustrated. I don't even know what to do. And see, God will put you, people of faith, in these positions where they do not know what to do. And it says, Pharaoh will think that they're wandering around the land in confusion, him by the desert. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. What's God's purpose? You know that when they went into the promised land, the first army that they faced, you know what they said? We heard what your God did to the Egyptian army. You know, he was preparing these people to just walk into the land and then the people were trembling. He was preparing them. So the people said, okay, sounds like a good plan. So what's our part of it? Go to this place where we have no outlet. Stand there and God's going to bring glory to himself. And all God was asking them to do, remember, God wasn't going to allow them to fight I don't think that part came in. There's a part as I come up here that says God will fight for you. So God wasn't even going to allow them to fight yet because they weren't ready mentally. But God was going to fight for them and all He's asking is, trust me. Trust me. So He goes on. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we have lost their services. You realize when you were in bondage, you were in service to the enemy? The enemy doesn't like it. It's like, you say, well, I wasn't in service to the enemy. Well, why did you spend so much time watching pornography? Why did you spend so much time getting drunk? Why did you spend so much time getting high for? Why did you spend so much time hating the people around you. You know that you was you were doing the enemy service? And, the, and this is just like the enemy. It's like, I'm losing their services. I better go after them. So God is playing with the enemy here. He's like, okay, I just lost part of my Bible. Wow. And who come, who's there to recover the Word? Man. <laughs> so, he's losing their services. So the enemy is coming after him, but do you understand God was like three steps ahead of the enemy? And he's waiting for the enemy to glorify God. So the, here comes the enemy, Pharaoh believes, and here's the man of self-confidence. The man that I have the greatest chariots in the world, the greatest army in the world. And God already told him in advance, I'm setting him up. 
So what do you think your attitude is going to be when you get in that moment where everything looks like it's about to fall apart, but God says His hand is on you? How do you act? Because this is going to determine whether you... this. They say when you meet a person, within five minutes you can tell everything about that person nearly. Like if you really watch the way they act, the way they talk, you can learn a high percentage about an individual just by observation. And this little observation of Israel, you'll see they go through the same pattern the rest of their lives. Everything that they did here, they were no more prepared. Let me say this. They were no more prepared to fight now with the Philistines than they were several years later when they walked on top of that mountain and God said, here's the promised land. You know, go conquer the enemies. Two of them were ready to go. Ten of them said they're too big. They, they didn't, they weren't any more prepared. Remember earlier when I said, now and not later? If not now, then when? I, it breaks my heart that you may not be any more ready to gain God's promises ten years from now than you are now. If not now, when? You're going to stand in front of God and I'm accountable for what I speak to you. You're going to stand before God and God's going to say, why didn't you live your life in faith? And you're going to say, because I was afraid. Because man made me fear. And here's something you'll notice. They knew what God was going to do already. He already wrote the book. He already wrote our book, actually. We know what's going to happen. Right? He already wrote this. Here they come. So what have we done? We've lost their services. So he had this chariot made ready. He had his chariot made ready. Took his army with him. He took six hundred of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers on all of them. The Lord hardened his heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he pursued the Israelites, and they were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and the chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near this place. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, I'm sorry. Opposite of Baal, Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites look up, looked up, and there were the Egyptians. Okay, here's the eyeballs. They knew what God was going to do, right? Their eyeballs looked up and they seen this army of the Egyptians. Now why is that a big deal? Because they were two million people armed for battle. They outnumbered them. They, they seriously outnumbered the Egyptians. You say, well, it was just an army and it scared them because they had the best chariots. No. They were afraid because they seen their taskmasters. They were slaves, do you understand? They seen their taskmasters. They were thinking like slaves still. They looked up and they seen the faces of their oppressors. Some of you are going to look up and you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a bottle of whiskey. It's your oppressor. Do you understand that's your oppressor? Some of you are going to see a heroin needle. 
It's your oppressor. And you're gonna, you're gonna begin to think like a slave. And you're gonna say, I can't beat it. You're gonna look up and you're gonna see the envy that's eating you up your whole life. You're gonna see the hatred that's eating you up your whole life. You say, well, I don't have hatred. Why don't you get along with your kids? I'm not looking at anybody. I'm, I'm listening to the Lord. I'm not looking at anybody. But the reason why you struggle in relationships is because you don't know how to relate. You don't know how to relate because you have sin in your life. Can I tell you that? You say, well, I just say what I think. That's the kind of person I am. Well, God wants to change the kind of person you are. Just like He wants to change the alcoholic. You know what? God wants to break your addiction to cigarettes. He wants to break it. By the way, you can vote me out in a month. All right? I'll be honest with you. God wants to change you. And I'm not saying those things. You say, well, that's why I don't go to church. Because I don't want somebody to step on my toes. Can I tell you something? If a pastor really loves you, he step on your toes. He will step on your toes. Please understand. If somebody loves you, they will not leave you the way you are. I don't want to be the same person I am tomorrow that I am today. I don't want to be. I don't want a single drug addict to believe the enemy can continue to oppress them the rest of their life. I don't want it. I don't want a single heroin addict to believe they're hopeless and helpless. But these people were helpless and they were hopeless. There was no way to deliver them out of the Egyptians. God had to actually bring somebody in who was not a slave. Did you know that? God took a Hebrew man that should have been a slave and God put him in the palace because he thought different. He didn't have any oppressors. Did you know that? Moses had no oppressors. Moses did not think like a slave, but he was still a Hebrew child. And Moses, contrary to the movie, Moses knew pretty well his whole life that he was a Hebrew. And Moses actually made a mistake by trying to free them from oppression with his own strength. God wanted to free him, but he came in, tried to free him himself. And God said, no, that's not going to work. These people's minds are not going to work. So God had to humble him on the backside of the wilderness. Now why would God take him to the wilderness? Because he had to lead a people in the wilderness. Why will God take us to the wilderness? Because he wants to take our sustenance away. He wants to take all the things we trust in away. Let me tell you something. Whatever your sin is, it makes you comfortable. Don't tell anybody. Nobody needs to know this. But whatever your pet sin is, think about it right now. Don't say it out loud. I might call you out. I'm not going to call anybody out. Think about it. When I'm sad, where do I go? When I'm happy, where do I go? When I'm depressed, where do I go? And see, God wants to take you to a place where the only way you'll have sustenance is from Him. 
God wants to say, you don't have to depend on that anymore because I can be that for you. I can begin to reveal myself. And Moses, Moses went to the place where he totally trusted God in the wilderness. He didn't trust in his education, although he was the most educated man in the world probably. He didn't trust in his strength. In fact, Moses was probably a great speaker till he went to the wilderness. And then he stuttered when he came out. So God said, I'm going to take your strength. I'm going to take your education. I'm going to take all these things you trust in Moses. And I'm going to, I'm going to take you who was prepared for this work. And I'm going to allow you to speak to these people. These people are going to watch you and they're going to learn how to not be slaves anymore. Some of the things we see with the slave mentality. These people, watch them. Here comes Pharaoh. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. There was the Egyptians. Think about it. You looked up, and what did you see? I opened a letter, and it was a bill. You looked at it, and what did you do? I don't know. You answer the question. You're waiting for me to answer it, aren't you? I looked up, and I saw my oppressors at work. Their eyeballs were looking at me. And I was like, I'm going to tell them I'm living for God now. But their eyeballs seen you. And you seen them. But how did you act? Were you courageous? Were you like, I'll die here in this desert before I give up on God? Or were you like them? Let's see what they did. They said, The Egyptians were marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve our oppressors. Their reaction was they were terrified. They were crying out to the Lord, but this was not faith. This was not faith at all. They were crying out to the Lord because they were terrified and did not trust God. God had already told them the plan in advance. Think about that. And now they're terrified when they see this army come and could not trust God. You say, well, that's, you know, that's understandable. This army was marching after them. It may not be as understandable as you think. If you stood in Egypt and you just watched all these plagues that God put upon the Egyptians, if you seen how weak and feeble the Egyptians were in front of the hand of God, think about it. God tormented these people and toyed with their gods. They were feeble. They were so feeble that they said, get out of here. Have you ever seen a demon tremble before God? You think a demon is powerful, a demon has a hold on your life, and a demon is destroying your life, but God stands in their midst and they tremble? You know, you know, the enemy has elevated himself. Everybody hides and says, oh, there's a demon. Oh, there's a devil. Oh, there's an addiction. All these things, they, they exalt themselves before God, and God's people say, oh, they're awful. Some of God's people look like they looked at the Egyptians. The Egyptians said, oh, they're so powerful. They're so wonderful. Look at their chariots. I'm telling you, every demon in hell trembles when God walks into the room. When Jesus walked in, the demons trembled. They said, don't touch us before the time. 
They were standing before, they were standing behind a rule. You can't touch me right now because it's not time yet. The enemy trembles at God. They tremble at your authority. They tremble at who you are. And so many times we give power to the enemy because we say the enemy is so great. And the enemy is marching toward one of my favorite places in the Bible. One of my favorite places in the whole Bible is Goliath is standing there mocking the living God. He mocked the children of God. He mocked David for being so small. He was insulted that they put David before him. He said, you, you must think I'm a dog to put this young kid in front of me. And David said, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. And you're just a giant. And here's what I love about the story. You notice in the story, David takes off running after him. The Egyptians are coming after Israel. And Israel is backing down because the Egyptians are on the march. What did God want them to do? God wanted them to stand there confident in their God. God didn't want them to back down. God didn't want them to fear. God wanted them to say, I don't care what the enemy does, I'll die in this desert. I'll die before I go back to slavery. I will die free rather than live a slave. And there's so many Christians that say, it's all so bad. It's so awful. This world is so difficult. It's so hard to be a Christian in this world. And what God is saying is, die on that belief. I'm going to live for God if the people that I work with, if they hate me, I'm going to live for God. If I don't have a friend left in this world, I'm going to live for God. If the people that are closest to me don't love me, I'm going to live for God. If I can't beat this addiction, I'm still going to live for God. I'll die in this addiction before I give up my faith in God. And what God wants you to do is God wants you to stand there and fight. God would have rather they had in their heart fearlessness, but they were cowards. One of the the first marks of a slave mentality is you are a coward. They're cowards. They had every reason not to be a coward. God was with them. They outnumbered the people. They were armed for battle. But they were so afraid of the Egyptians, they were cowardly. And this is what happens so many times with people of faith. The minute it gets a little bit rough, the minute the enemy does a little bit something to trip us up, the minute somebody, get ready for this, insults me. Man, God wants us to be courageous. He said the bold, the, the, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Unbelievers, the Bible said, aren't like that. It says they run at the first threat. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. That means I'll walk into any situation... Let me tell you something. You know how many Christians are running and hiding from the Muslims? The Muslims operate in a demonic spirit where they try to intimidate intentionally. That's why they cut heads off. That's why they try to intimidate the masses so you will not speak against their false prophet, Muhammad. 
Muhammad was a child molester. Okay? Muhammad had 18 wives and forbid anybody to have multiple wives. Muhammad prophesied to one of his relatives that I'm going to take your wife and took his wife. Muhammad was a cold-blooded killer. Muhammad was a bad man. And you want me to shut up about this false religion that is destroying the world right now? You can cut my head off, but it'll be saying Jesus as it rolls across the floor. And you think I'm joking? If you think I'm joking, I'm not a pluralistic person. There's one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's not through Catholicism. It's not through Methodism. It's not through Pentecostalism. And it's definitely not through Islam. But if we don't wake up and have some lions who are bold, righteous people, I'm going to to show you in a minute what's going to happen in this nation if we don't wake up and become bold as a lion. But here's what they said. I want you to listen to their words and relate it to your own life. We want to go back. How many in this room recently have said, why am I even serving God? And I'm not here to, I'm not here to embarrass you. Like I said, I'm not here to be the preacher that says, preach it brother. That was such an awesome message. You preached it so hard. I'm not preaching hard. What I'm saying is, how many of you have had this negativity about going back? I'm telling you, that is a slave mentality. The slave wants to go back to Egypt. Now, why would you want to go back to Egypt where they mistreat your wife? They mistreat your children? You'll never own anything. You never have any rights. You never have an inheritance. I mean, you're getting ready to get houses and orchards, your own land. God's about to reveal Himself to you. So why would you want to go back? Why do you want to go back to drug addiction? I used to have one guy that I knew in church, and he'd always tell me, he goes, I'll tell you what, I'm living for God now, but if I ever go back, I'm going to split hell wide open. And there are people that think like that. They're always one circumstance away from going back. Always one trial away from going back. Their eyeballs have betrayed them. The eyeballs are the opposite of faith. One circumstance can kick them right back to Egypt. And what I'm telling you right now, that is an old remnant of your old man. The old man's trying to rise up inside of you and say, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back, man, when it was I could smoke a cigarette. I never felt bad about it. I want to go back where I could drink anytime I wanted. You know, and... And I didn't have to feel bad about it or hide it. I want to go back to where I could just like, you know, just tell any story I want, watch anything I want, do anything I want. This God is oppressive. See, they were acting like God was more oppressive than their oppressors. But God, here's God trying to bless them. That's what He's trying to do you. Then they said, we're going to die. 
You brought us out here to die. You ever, if you've got this slave mentality, one thing that you'll always do is you will exaggerate every circumstance. It's like, I got a hangnail today, the same day I lost my car keys. And then my nose is running. And I'm not making light because things like that, I've had an ingrown toenail, okay? But here's what I'm saying is, that slave mentality will make this thing so much bigger that you'll give up on God. They're like, we're going to die. And like every little thing that happened in the wilderness, they went right back to that every time. They reverted back to, why did you bring us out here again? You know, and, and, and do, you, do you notice they weren't scared or they were terrified of the enemy, but they had no fear of God? Isn't that weird? Jesus said, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him that after your body is gone can cast you into hell. He said, don't fear man. Don't fear him. Fear the one that after all this is done can throw you in hell. Jesus said that. Well, that means Jesus believes in hell? He does. And see, this is the thing. They were not afraid of God. They had no fear of God at all. But they were terrified at man. And they weren't afraid of God's man. It's like, preacher, you got me here in this spot. You're always talking about the promises of God. You know, you ever been there? That's all right. You can say, okay, you're not necessarily... You know, people are going to die in the wilderness. This is part of the journey of becoming mature. It's like shedding all of those old thoughts. You say, well, I've got those thoughts. Am I that person? I've had these thoughts. I mean, we'll be honest and say you've had these thoughts. This is part of the maturity process, though. You're standing there trying to get the promises of God, and God's trying to get... Uh, in fact, uh, Bob, you and I were talking this morning. He said the greatest counselor that he ever knew at the youth care center... Um, had served a lot of time in prison, 15 years, I think, right? And he said, what was it? He asked the guy, what was it? Because he said everybody he would send them to this guy because he was the best counselor they had. And he said, what was it that kept you a Christian in prison? And he said, I was in prison, but prison was not in me. Let me give you a quote. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. Wow. There are people in prison right now that are more free than people in churches. The prison was never in him. He was in prison though. Some of you say you're free, but every time a circumstance comes up, we don't act like free people. We don't act like people whose God brought them to the wilderness is going to bring them through it. Let me go on here. I just know I'm going to go long, so feel free to... Anybody that needs to release themselves early, I understand. Life always seems unconquerable to a slave. Life always seems unconquerable if you are a slave. Things always seem insurmountable when you're a slave. Why? You don't have resources. 
You don't have any ability to gather resources together and accomplish anything. But can I tell you something? Now you're not a slave, you're a child of God. I mentioned last week about living this life like you have an inheritance and you have resources and it won't be very long that we're all going to be wealthy. Do you guys know you have the resources of heaven? You're not a slave. Every situation is now conquerable before it wasn't. Here's another thing they said. It's your fault. How many people play this game where they blame everybody? My parents would not have raised me that way. My wife or my husband wouldn't treat me that way. If God wouldn't have done this, if that pastor would not have failed me, you understand? This is a slave's mentality. They don't... They don't have responsibility. Right? They just do what the taskmaster master tells them. You know, some people will ask for advice from a godly minister because they want to have somebody to blame when it goes wrong. I've done everything that pastor has told me to do and it still hasn't worked out right. Really, have you trusted God to the death? Because that's what I'm asking you to do in every situation. Trust Him to the death, no matter what it is. The back's against the wall and it looks like certain death. Terminal cancer. Man, my back's against the wall. Your back's not against the walls. Your best days are still ahead of you. I'm not just saying that. Your best days are still ahead of you. Satan hasn't won anything with terminal cancer. Satan hasn't won anything with bankruptcy. Satan hasn't won anything with divorce. Do you realize God is on your side? You're not a slave. But slaves, their mentality is to blame somebody else. You know? I know I have notes here somewhere. How about this? You cannot educate that mentality out of a slave. There's no level of education that will make a slave think differently. Moses could not add a training session like you do at work and everybody has to sign the paper. Well, God, I've covered pretty well the slave mentality part of it. I think they're good to go. Can't educate it out of them. You know, you can't get it out of them by showing them miracles and preaching sermons. There's no sermon that I can preach that can make you not have that mentality. I can't make you believe in God. I can't make you trust God. I can't make you live for God. My kids, I cannot make you love God. You've got to trust Him with all of your heart. Psalm 106, let me show you something about this people because it ends chapter 14. It says... And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord, what did God just do at the end of 14? He just buried the entire army in the Red Sea, right? And it says, When the children of Israel saw God's great power displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and Moses, His servant. Happily ever after, right? 
Let's read chapter, uh, Psalms 106. It says this, starting in verse 6, We have sinned just like our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave us, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your kindnesses and they rebelled where? By the sea, just in case you're wondering if it's that one, he says the Red Sea. So this is saying that they ever, never actually trusted God. It says that for the moment, they trusted God and God's man. I trust you, God, and I trust your man. But the minute they left the Red Sea, what happened? It wasn't very much longer. God presented them with another opportunity. And he goes through this in chapter 106 of Psalms and details all of these opportunities. And every time they got an opportunity to trust God, what did they do? They would not trust God. They would not trust God's man. And they rebelled against God every moment. So I ask you again, if not now, when? One thing about a slave is a slave only thinks about the temporary. A slave thinks about the immediate future. If you're a slave and you have an opportunity to be free, the reason you reject it is because you're thinking about right now and not the future. How many understand having your own homes Allowing your wife to move around without being assaulted physically. Allowing your children to have freedom to walk around and not be assaulted or abused. How many know that's not a future? So the only reason you would choose to be a slave is temporary comfort. So your comfort where you're currently living, your your food, your drink... Your current job that you have, they were being very oppressed. The children of Israel, the thing about them, they, they retained their, 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 they retained their slave mentality. And one thing that they would not do was fully commit. I was listening to a guy speak yesterday and he was talking about an interview that they did with a guy during World War II. He was a kamikaze fighter. So I remember the story. You might remember what a kamikaze fighter was. What was a kamikaze fighter? His mission was to commit suicide and kill the enemy. Well, the guy being interviewed had survived 50 kamikaze missions. Isn't that amazing? So they began to ask him, how did you do that? And he said, I was very involved in the missions. I was just not very committed. But this is one thing that people do when they serve God. I was very involved in serving God. I just wasn't very committed. Think about it. We can go our whole life serving God, but we never want to go to the point of giving our life. And that's what God requires from us. They were afraid of men, but not afraid of God. 
Every circumstance they went through confirmed their lack of confidence in God. They would rather go back to the comfort of Egypt than fight to the death for freedom. Think about it. Another thing a slave will do is a slave will be very open to compromise. You know that when Moses went... Now remember, Moses was not a slave. Moses didn't think like a slave. He didn't act like a slave. Moses went to Pharaoh. Do you know Pharaoh offered him three compromises? The first compromise was, Pharaoh said, we want to go worship God. This is the enemy here. I want to live for God. I want to worship God. I want to raise my hands and live for God. Pharaoh represents the enemy. The enemy said, you can worship God. Just don't leave Egypt. He put boundaries on him. And see, the world will do this to you. The world will say, you can live for God. Just don't go too far with it. We want to keep you in boundaries. And so Moses went back to the Pharaoh and he could have said like most of our politicians, well, this is a pretty good deal. Much better than we've had it as slaves. You know, now we're going to get a chance to free, have freedom of worship. And you know, most of our politicians would say, well, that's a great thing. We've opened up communism to freedom of worship. That's a good thing. They haven't been able to worship before. God said, no, you don't have to compromise. You don't need to compromise. I'm God. They're Egypt. I've been toying with them. So Moses comes back and he says, uh, no, no deal. Pharaoh comes back again. And if you want to look these up, I'm kind of getting in a hurry here. But Exodus 8, Exodus 10, 11, and Exodus 10, 24. Moses comes back and he says, no, that's no deal. We're going to worship uh, where God told us to worship on the mountain. And he says, okay, well, you can go worship, but you're not allowed to take your family. Only the men can go. So Moses, who did not have a slave mentality, why why are you making a deal with me, Pharaoh? You know, you're the one that's uh, receiving the plagues. You're the one that has judgment over you. Why do I have to make a deal with the world? You know, nobody is stopping your kid from praying in school. You know that? There's no law that can keep your kid from praying in school. Your kid can pray in school. There's nothing stopping you from serving the Lord. Why are we making compromises with the world? Why are we making compromises with the enemy? Moses came back because he's not a slave and he said, no deal. My whole family is going to live for God. Then they came back and he said, well, you and your family can go worship, but don't take any of the possessions or the cattle. And Moses said, uh, yeah, we're taking everything. God told us to take everything and leave. We're taking the wives, we're going to worship where we want to, and we're taking everything that belongs to us, and oh yeah, we're going to get even more. So a slave mentality, and I can't go here right now, but in Numbers chapter 14, the people come back, they talk it over amongst themselves, and they say, let's stone Moses and Aaron. We don't like this deal. We want to go back to our oppressors. You understand? They didn't like his compromises. They wanted to take the compromises they didn't want 
him to walk away from the compromise. They wanted a better deal in Egypt. And see, the enemy will come to you with these compromises. Serve the Lord, but just do it halfway. Be a Sunday church attender. Put a little bit of money in the plate, but don't give up these things that God's called you to give up. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't believe God for your whole family. You know, don't, and, and the enemy will try to make you compromise. And the last thing I'm going to close with this. Slaves do not like change. They said in Exodus chapter 14 verse 12, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Exodus 14.12, they said, let us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. Now let me read this. This is my closing parts here. But I want you to read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 with me. Very important part to read. This is the place where Moses was about to die. He assembled all of Israel together. And one last time, Moses is trying to break their slave spirit. One last time. I want you to imagine if the greatest leader of our country was about to die, and he and he'd been the leader over our country for 40 years, he would have been like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln all rolled into one. But 40 years, he was their leader. He was very revered to the point that they had to hide his body. Right? So he assembles all the people together. He's about to die. And he wants to try to break this slave spirit that's upon them. Starting in verse 30, verse 43 of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. It says, You will have sons and daughters. And here's what he's warning them. He says, If you do not fight your oppressors, they will come in and take everything that you have. Your oppressors will destroy your life your family, and they will take everything. Here's the warning that He gives them if they do not obey their God. Uh, Let me start in 36. The Lord will drive you and the King who is set over you as a nation uh, unknown to you and your fathers. They will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. They will become a thing of horror, an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little. Locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes. Worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil. Um, basically, he goes on and says, Your sons and your daughters will not keep them because they will go into captivity. You say, well, all these things that you're beginning to say here, is that going to happen to us? Here's what's happening in America. Your sons and your daughters are becoming slaves. He's beginning to tell them how people become slaves to men. This is how you become slaves to men. You allow this enemy to stand. You don't fight this enemy. You don't trust the Lord your God. And this enemy begins begins to slowly creep into your nation. You see something here? Foreign gods are beginning to sneak into our nation. They're beginning to change our culture. They're beginning to take our children captive. See, slaves don't think for themselves. Slaves watch Hollywood and begin to think like Hollywood. Slaves read the Internet and begin to think like the Internet. And what God is saying is if you do not trust God and you do not live for the living God that built this nation, 
Your nation will be destroyed by the enemy. And he goes on. The alien will live among you. He will rise above you higher and higher. Do you hear this? You will sink lower and lower. This is how you become a slave. People listen. They will be higher and higher. You will be lower and lower. They will lead you, but you will not lead them. They will be the head and you will be the tail. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you. They will overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you did not, what? Obey the Lord your God and observe His commands and decrees I gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you, your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God, what? Joyfully and gladly. Because you would not serve Him joyfully and gladly, He's going to make them a slave to men. God wants to deliver us. God doesn't want us to be a slave. Serve Him gladly in a time of prosperity. Therefore, hunger and thirst, nakedness, dire poverty, will serve, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until He has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the ends of the earth like an eagle swooping down. A nation whose language you will not understand. A fierce-looking nation without respect for the old and no pity for the young. They will devour the young. Folks, you go down and down and down and down and begin to look. Not only is this our nation, this is your home. God is saying, fight for what you believe. Stand in the desert and say, I will fight the enemy. I will not back down. I will not be afraid. I will stand up to the enemy. I will live free. I would rather die free in this desert than live afraid of the enemy. Praise the Lord. Rise to your feet.